great moments are born from great opportunity. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. Football is about controlling that anger, harnessing that aggression into a team effort to achieve perfection. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Let's go to work. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Football is about controlling that anger, harnessing that aggression into a team effort to achieve perfection. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Bubs, we're back in person. Good to be back here at the Playball Academy. Um, it's good to have Joe back here making us look good. Joe, the mastermind. <laughs> I like it, Joe. Hey, if there's any way you can cut a couple LBs off of the chin or, or hook it up that way, dude. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get some good posture. And Shoulders look good. <laughs> help us out with that, all right? <laughs> no, I appreciate, appreciate you being here, Joe, and helping us out with this. Um, Episode four, Bubs, uh, we're talking maybe maybe when it comes to team development, the most important thing when building your team, and that's core covenants or values. The reality is if you don't have these going into your program, going into your season, when you're starting, if you don't have some values that you can live by, you're probably going to fail because your, your strategy is not going to uphold. Totally agree with you. Um, I think sometimes we talk about values and it's easy to toss five, six words out. Um, but I think, like you mentioned, it's standing by that structure and also being very depictive on what, um, what a, the program means to you. And as a head coach, how you reflect that. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. We get a lot of youth coaches that'll uh, say, you know, this is what we're about, this is what we do, and then their actions um, don't reflect what's going on. Yeah. So I think it's extremely important in building. Um, I'll jump into it, Jeff. Yeah, let's go. I know uh, a big wording, you know, like, oh, well, your covenant, it's kind of a, you know, a fancy word. To me, it, it extremely was. Um, to me, a covenant um, had two parts of meaning. Um, it was a physical, um, just being visible with everything that we wanted to do during practice games, how we were in the hallways, just what we emulated as a program in the community. And it, to me, it was also a binding agreement. Value is kind of like a promise, right? Like I coach, you know, our values are good. I promise to go by this. A binding agreement, when you use the word covenant for our program, meant you displayed it at all times. It's a strong, it's a stronger word, right? Like it's, it, covenant is just stronger. It, it makes you feel like more secure. It does. I think it was good. Like we, we almost like was a covenant to a brotherhood for us on the baseball side but just some basic things like a lot of people were like hey man how did, how did you develop or build your covenant well from a coaching standpoint I'd always have a meeting with my with my assistants right and we said what does our program want to be like what are we going to explain what are we um, in order for the athletes to buy in um, so a big three things that we came with for, for basketball baseball so whatever we came up was integrity accountability and communication those were three things that we had to have every athlete buy into um, and then we got in detail with each specific team on some covenants 
covenants that the athletes wanted to go by. And I think you'll get a little more in detail with that with some of the yeah. teams you coached. Some of the things that, you know, I asked myself prior to meeting with my coaches was, hey, what do I want my team to stand for? Like, what was the reflection of, of our community, my name, the, the school's name? Like, what, what was that? And then what was a, a great... Um, standpoint for our coaching staff right because like we talk about Jess like we can have all the ideas in the world but if we don't got a great support staff to execute that plan then it's just an idea yep. you know so you got to make sure they're on board with that you want to make sure you got input from them and what I stood for was was that going to reflect from our staff right because the kids see right through that very smart kids what does it mean to be an athlete in our program I think that was one of the questions we always wanted with our core covenants um, I sat down with individual meetings before each season and I just said hey what did it mean for you to be a Chatfield baseball player mm -hmm. like what and I wanted just to hear that like reply from them and I really knew where my my covenants were guided and engaged towards if it was about wins and losses if it was about wearing a jersey on game day to school I wanted it to be deeper than that I wanted it to be community based how clear my vision was as a leader like how did I how did I represent that how did I have a lingo explaining that to parents to administrators to athletes to making sure the staff knew what was going on you had to have all flavors of lingo with that and be transparent I wanted no gray area in my program with covenants Jess I wanted to make sure everyone understood and then how clear my vision was that towards the team um, we talk about evolving um, <laughs> How I explained my covenants to athletes 10 years ago was a completely different version. Not necessarily my covenants changing, but my version or lingo to the athletes that I talked to three years ago was completely different, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we talk about just having having that lingo and having to adjust with how times have changed with, uh, with our athletes. Um, so I hope that some guidelines on building covenants, some ideas that coaches can kind of go with, but it's a deep thought. I don't think it's something that you develop overnight, um, and it may be something that alters not necessarily like your your values or your core but um but individually and team wise you can kind of adjust with that right jess yeah absolutely and, and i you a couple things i think a lot of teams especially in high schools you think that they throw a poster on the board that says has these really fancy words and it could be what you just said right accountability commitment communication and they throw these posters up on on the walls and they say this is who we are yeah. but then they never teach it then they never revisit it sure. and they're never holding people accountable to it so it's one thing to have these core covenants it's one thing to believe that this is who we are what we do how we do it so to speak but it's another thing to teach it to your coaches right. have your coaches be able to teach it to your players and then really live that culture and I think that's the biggest thing is living that culture, right? Because we always talk about like, um, let's say, let's say my most talented athlete didn't live that culture. I think you have to execute that core covenant with everybody involved, yeah. right? And you're hoping that you're, you're like, uh, our goal as a coach is to have your best athlete, your hardest worker, someone that's bought in today's day and age. And, and just, and, and I use that term loosely because maybe 10 years ago, I still use that term today's day and age. That's not always the case, but you have to make sure you're executing and you stand by those covenants with every athlete, with every family, with everybody in the program. Because yeah. the minute that link kind of tightens or, or winds or loops, um, the whole structure can collapse. Yeah. You know? and 
then that's key. Yeah. We, so when we when we really got good and when we really turned a corner at Lincoln is when we got more focused with our, our values, our covenants. What we called it was a culture blueprint. And we took that from uh, Urban Meyer. And there's a, a great book out there if you guys ever have a chance to grab it. It's called Above the Line. And in that, he talks about his core values and he, he calls it a culture blueprint. So in there, you talk about your beliefs and our beliefs were uh, commitment, tough and together. Those were the three things that we were going to stand by. Our culture, what we called our culture was uncommon. And we got to that point to call it uncommon because, you know, we we're trying to look at our kids and what really is going to stick with them, what's really going to stand out with them. And we wanted our football players to be better in the classroom. We wanted them to not be the standard what was going on traditionally sure. by the everyday person in the hallways. So when we would talk to our players, we would talk to them. We are uncommon. Well, what does uncommon mean? Uncommon means that we are committed, we are tough, and we are together. And the commitment part was all about something that I said early on an earlier podcast was the best sons and the best students are the best football players. That's, that's what commitment was. So if I ever told a player, if I ever told a player, hey, commitment, what does that mean? That player would be able to regurgitate that to me and understand the outcome that we're trying to achieve. If we told them that the outcome that we're trying to achieve with with being committed is that we're being able to be relied on by our families, by our sure. teammates, by our teachers. So there, it was a whole process, right? I am committed. I am the best son, the best student, which means I'm a good football player. And the outcome I achieve through that is I am relied. I'm able to be relied upon. Yeah, I love it. No, I like it because we just talked about a good a good amount of, of things that meant a lot to our program and had nothing to do with X's and O's. Yeah. You know, and the minute they bought into that, like, coaching and them learning was was second nature man mm -hmm. and it wasn't built overnight you no. agree yeah a hundred percent agree my <laughs> you know the, the way we got there the way I got there personally and kind of tie this into a, a, a old Lincoln story I was the biggest Lincoln hater in southwest Denver sure. I was a Kennedy kid and so I was the biggest Lincoln hater in southwest Denver 2007 2008 Lincoln's going to state championships in basketball and I remember you guys were going down to the to uh, see you to go watch a game yeah, and, yeah. and I said no nah, I'm not going because that's that's how big of a hater I was fast forward a few years later uh, five years later I'm teaching and I'm coaching at Lincoln High School. Yeah. And I walked through the gym and it was a basketball practice. Vince, Val Vince Valdez was running the basketball practice. And when I walked through that gym, Bubs, I knew something was different. And I will stand by this and I will stand by him. And he's one of the best coaches that I've ever been around. Sure. And I walked through that gym that first day and I saw what was happening in there. And I stopped and I sat down and I watched. And it kind of all came full circle when I was on his staff a few years later as a C-team coach. And his core basketball values were transition, spacing, and ball pressure. Hope I'm not giving away any secrets there. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, it's probably been that way since day one. It, and, and, you know... But the key to that was everything that we did, I was, he was teaching me that, and I was coaching C-team kids who really had no business, but we were playing some top-end programs, and we were beating top-end programs because our, our focus on what we were doing every day in practice was all that. Yep. And that's where the success came from. And just a, a story to wrap it up, we were in the playoffs that year, 
and we were going down to play Mountain Vista, who was a tremendous transition team. Very fast. Yep. Very fast. They never getting up and down the court. And I remember we had this conversation before we got on the bus. Uh, the coaches were meeting, and we're kind of just going through everything. And this is kind of my my basketball claim to fame. They were talking about the rest of the coaches were talking about us slowing down and not being who we were. Sure. And I spoke up and I said, listen, we've been the best transition team every game that we've played. Let's have them adjust to us. Let's right. go do what we do and see if they can adjust to us. And Bubs, I mean, we had this team on the ropes. I, we, and, I was there. <laughs> yeah. I was there. And we, we took them into deep waters. They threw this crazy half-court trap on us uh, early in the second half. And you know, honestly, we didn't have an answer for it. I remember Vince looking over at me, at the whole staff, like, like what should we do? Should we do and yeah. I was like, tackle them. Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> I'm a football, football coach came out at me. But, you know, we missed some free throws. But we stuck to who we are and what we're doing. And I learned that season. That was my only season coaching basketball at the high school level. And I learned that season how important values and um, covenants are to the success of your team. And then to top it off that same uh, winter, I went to see you uh, for a coaches clinic. And I'm sitting there with um, one of my assistant coaches and head coach at the time at CU was coach Mike McIntyre. Yeah. And he came and he's doing his rounds and he's talking to all the coaches, but he came and he grabbed his lunch and he sat down right next to us. And in my mind, I'm like, I got to ask him something. Like, I'm not just going to sit here yeah, and like, yeah. it's like kind of like a first date with a hot girl, you know, <laughs> like, I'm not just going to, yeah, just like, hey, hey. Um, so we introduced ourselves and then I asked him, I said, what do you think is, is the most important thing in success to a team? and his words were vertical alignment so you take your core covenants and then everybody within the program has to believe the same thing I totally agree and your story was a hundred percent on point because think about it um, Vince was a head coach you mm -hmm. were assistant coach at the time yeah but you were two feet in on everything he did mm -hmm. and you had to reassure them and remind them when they wanted to maybe divert from the course mm -hmm. that got you there and it was going to be through and through um you almost put the kids in a different a, a different realm or a different comfort level if you try to divert from that plan yeah for and, sure and you were talking about playoff time so they had got there all season with with that transition style basketball yeah um but it's just great to hear that you were an assistant during it and we're 100 percent bought in yeah that. and and again to his credit right to listen to a football coach right that spoke up during that time when he could have said i've been i've been here i got two state championships I've been here before. I don't have to listen to you. So as head coaches, to be humble, to listen to your assistants yeah. and to have assistants that are willing to help and no. to speak up. You were 100% right with staying the course. Yeah. You have to stay the course. And I know you didn't get to win at the, you know, at the time, but um, it was probably, I was at that game and I have yeah. no problem saying it. I think like I, I told you probably a couple times, I felt the second half of that game, you guys played not to lose rather than playing to win. Yeah. And in high school athletics and all athletics, there's, there's a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And the, yeah, and I think you, you kind of, in those big moments, and we could talk big moments all the time, and maybe we will when we get to that question, but, you know, you really you really got to be quick with your responses and your change, especially in basketball, right? Like, yeah. things change so rapidly in basketball. Sure. If you're not ready with the counter to the counter to the counter, right. you're, you're, you start to fall behind. And that's what makes the good teams different from the great teams. Yeah. And in, you know, big school basketball, it's, it's that way. In baseball, it's that way. I'm sure in football, it's yeah. that way, right? Schemes and plans, you have half times quarters and everyone makes adjustments and that's why the detailed parts of the game during practices and stuff are very key yeah and, and with football specifically going back to my forte right 
you have to have a team philosophy, team core covenants, but then you got to break it down and you've got to have an offensive core covenants. Right. You've got to have a defensive core covenants because for us it, uh, on offense, you know, we wanted to make sure the defense uh, defended the entire field and we wanted to stay balanced and we wanted to be simple. So every play that we had, every run play that we had, had a counter plus a play action coming off of it. So that was part of us being balanced. Sure. Um, so it's not just you take your core covenants of who you want to be as a program and then you break it down to that strategy and build that into the core covenants not the other way around i think so many coaches want to start with the x's and o's the strategy right. and then kind of shove in the core covenants you're absolutely right and that's where the infrastructure collapses yeah right that's where you have issues with teams and you're rebuilding or you're having issues midway through the year and it's never about the x's and o's because you're putting out the fires from not having the core covenants for the program yeah and we were the same way with baseball Baseball. You know, we'd have just miscellaneous stuff like, um, you know, our goal is to be fast. Like we wanted to be fast on the bases. We had to lead the league in steals for us to compete at a high level. Um, we wanted to, you know, and we were always like, I was never, hey, we're not going to lead in home runs. I don't really care about, like we wanted to be OBP. I cared about on-base percentage. Um, and I let the kids develop that. Yeah. So we'd bring in the older kids and we said, hey, man, for us to be very successful, be league champs, compete at the state level, give me some things that you think we need to do. Yeah. And we'd build from there. We'd really take five topics and that would be the team for you know 2018 and then maybe the 2019 team was built a little different right so we'd have those covenants for the 19 team and then the 20 team but I was really um, put it in the hands of the athletes right yeah. they're the ones playing the game um, they're the ones between the lines so um, it, it's it's good to delegate that yeah. I think as a head coach like I don't want it to like I'm sure you weren't like we're gonna pound the football and we're gonna <laughs> do this and they're like coach like well, that's not how we're built yeah you know like yep. being able to evolve and allow the kids to delegate a little Knowing your kids, that's it. <laughs> no, knowing who you are, evolve, and you know? and your your core core covenants don't change, right? You're always going to be about that. But how you do that, your strategy, it allows your strategy strategy to change with your athletes. Right. Because if I, I want to be balanced, sometimes I'm going to be balanced by spreading you out first and hitting you with quick passes, and then coming to the run. Other times, with depending on my kids, I'm going to run the ball first and then open it up, right? Sure, sure. But you have to have those kids on your team and know who your kids are, and not trying to fit them the square peg into the round hole right. you're, you're you're fitting a system into your core covenant so that way you can have a strong foundation to stand on you're right Jason it's being able to evolve on the fly yeah and I think the good coaches become great when they're able to do that right yeah. like we talk about like what's a good coach a good coach to me is someone that can delegate time speaks well is able to get the best out of student athletes yeah the great coaches can adjust on the fly when their starting quarterback goes down and their running back is um you know out for a couple weeks yeah. you know like being able to adjust yeah quickly adjust to anything right right I used to I used to give my coaches when they'd come in I'd give them a daily breakdown of all the crap that happened throughout the school day like hey Johnny is gonna be a little rough today because he broke up with his girlfriend yeah. um, Mitch got in trouble in math sure. class so we got to make sure that we're following up with him so it's not just coaching but you're you're doing all that so that way your coaches have all the information they need to reach those kids but there's the adjustment right like hey Henry's missing practice today sure right. next man up well next man up coach is, is the five foot two get, freshman yeah. I, yeah this freshman has to get some touches today well guess what we're building depth today it's so true and, and it is being positive mindset we'll yeah and we're, we're not stopping we're not going to stop coaches I don't care if there was 10 kids that showed up to practice those 10 kids are going to get coached really, really well. You're 100% right. And I like that, Jess. I think uh, putting the coaches on the fly, I think some I did 
traditionally, which wasn't a fan favorite my first couple years, was I'd build a 15-minute segment and I'd lie on the practice plan. I'd lie. I literally say we're going to do base running during this segment. I'd get all my coaches together and I'd say, all right, Joey, Jimmy, Johnny, whoever it was on the staff, you got 15-minute segment to knock this out. And they look at me like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you have all the high school athletes yeah. with eyes and attention. But I felt being able to put them in an uncomfortable position, have them coach their way out in practice, made them better coaches during game time. Yeah. Right? Because there's always situations in that. So uh, I kind of tried to build that through the practice plan, just getting them better. Yeah. And you, you hit on something that's it's related, right? You also have to have a coaching philosophy and covenants with your coaches. Yeah. And one thing that we always, that, you know, I eventually got really good at was making sure our coaches coached all the time. Sure. There's always something to be coached. And being on the football field, and this happens so often in football practices, is it becomes social hour. Right. And the football coaches, because we're running plays, want to sit around and want to talk. Like, yeah. no, if you're a defensive coach and we're having an offensive practice, the kids that are running scout team on defense our, need to be coached. Yes. Well, it's not our scheme. doesn't matter if it's not our scheme. Coach, coach their fundamentals. Yeah, that's so true. And, and when you do that, when, and, and also, like I, I used to always tell our coaches, like, practice is not sermon time. You're, you're, our kids aren't out here to get a sermon and hear a lecture. Right. They heard lectures all day in school, sure. and now you want to get them on the football field and lecture them for five minutes about what they have to do. Yeah. Get them moving. Get them doing reps. It's like an energy killer, right? Yeah. Yeah, if you're talking more, I think our thing was is I tried to have a four-minute conversation about – it was more of a demonstration. Mm -hmm. Four-minute demonstration, everything was active after that. You know, yeah. um, you didn't want those energy killer moments. And there was times to talk. You know, you, you always had to get your points across, but I never wanted to do that in a team setting when there were yeah. just dead bodies sitting there. I would, I would challenge any coach, any coach, to take a step back of your team huddle at the end of practice and just watch the kids. Yeah. You've got them for about two minutes. Yep. you, you got to get your point across in about two minutes you're, because you're after right. two minutes, the eyes start rolling, they start wandering, the birds are chirping, the squirrels are over here. Yeah. Like You've got them for about two minutes to hit on whatever points you want. Yep. And you've got to be direct. You've got to be intentional about what you're delivering after practice. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think uh, that's something that should be attempted or demonstrated, even yeah. at the youth level, man. I mean, yeah. it's not hard. Hey, and I, and I came to the point where at the end of our games, we wouldn't even really break down much. It yeah. would. Every coach had to say one thing positive. We'd get our hands in a circle. And we look, whether we lost 10-0 or won 10-0, it was give everybody something positive, just one sentence, get our hands in, and we'll work on it tomorrow. Yep. You know, I think, you know, they were already mentally exhausted from playing a seven-inning game, and uh, I just wanted to always end on a good note. Yeah. And I think it challenged my coaches to not be coach obvious. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, uh, we didn't do this. We didn't. Yeah, no shit. Yep. We just went through that. You know, we just want to say something positive, get them on the bus. It's yeah. So... So, so and it doesn't I, to me it doesn't even have to be positive it has to be productive it has sure. to be a productive it could be it, yeah. it could be a, a critique sure. that's fine but it, it's got to be quick got to yeah. be to the point they got to know what you're talking about you can't I see this with with youth football a lot is the coach at the end of the game starts talking a language that he's never taught to the kids right. uh, we didn't I, I don't know I'm just gonna use uh, we didn't get to the line of scrimmage did you ever teach them what a line of scrimmage is because in your core covenants there's also a language that has to be taught sure. and especially at the young the young uh, youth level 
one of the first things that I do with my teams is I teach them a line of scrimmage positions yeah. because it eliminates so many headaches going forward. Sure. If I tell, uh, if you watched my youth team uh, play, <laughs> you know, I'd ask them what does pursuit mean, and every single one of them will scream, "Get to the ball as fast as you can." That's what pursuit means. So I don't have to spend time during the games like we're not getting to the ball. Right. I just say pursuit, 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 and they know what that means. Yeah, they know the lingo that you're saying, and I think it's very important that each coach tries to develop their own. Yes. Right? Like just some key words, something basic, something key, um, and, and that's good. Another yeah. coaching tip, is just something that popped up to me. Common things kids do not want to hear on the field. Mm-hmm. I used to put up a thing in the dugout, and I'd say, hey, guys, um, during this week, I just want you to jot phrases, lines, something that you don't want to hear. You know, you just don't want to hear. Yeah. And Jess, I, I was guilty, man. A lot of the shit on the board was probably coming majority out of my mouth. Yeah. So I was able to evolve and adjust, and it made the kids a little more comfortable. And my lingo that I thought might have been A plus was maybe a C, and I had to adjust and evolve with that also. Yeah. But it got the kids a little more comfortable. <laughs> we keep hitting on this point since the day one of we started doing this podcast. But the humility you have to have, right? The confidence number one to be a head coach, but the humility to go along with that confidence. Yeah. I always say a strong ego versus a big ego a strong ego knows when to be humbled right you you could have said no I'm right I'm we're gonna do this but you seeing that is a testament to you being humble and a great coach and willing to adjust because if you're not willing to adjust you're just not going to get things done right that's a good to great type adjustment right like anyone can say I'm good we have this wins and losses but how do you become great I wanted to make sure the kids were comfortable as can be and I had enough pride in myself to say hey let me know what's making you uncomfortable yeah and uh i'll make sure my staff adjusts to that and you know we're we're all wearing the same colors man let's, yeah. let's get it done together absolutely so very very key um just some small adjustments but no one really thought of that some of the stuff on the board just was like <laughs> throw strikes and they're like don't say throw strikes we know we're not throwing strikes. <laughs> like, coach obvious yeah don't coach. be coach obvious and it was just a simple verbal cue we never said again and it made the kid comfortable and he probably threw some more strikes yeah you know um so, so just there, stuff like there's that. always something like if he's not throwing strikes was his release point off did he overstride did he not uh, get enough power out of his back and I'm just speaking off of my head I don't know yeah. if, that, if those are anything that just for pitching verbal yeah. cues that had the athlete a little more comfortable and his performance was affected by yeah you know so absolutely good tip it there nice but yeah core covenants make sure you've got them and develop them know how to know how to deliver it know how to um teach it it'll go a long way and stay the course with them oh yeah you go stay the course with them you know through thick and thin stay the course yep all right, so halftime adjustment. We're going to do something different for our halftime adjustments um, from here on out because what we really want to do is make this valuable to anybody out there who's listening. And if you want a coaching tip or or anything that you can tangible that you could take with you after listening to this, we want to provide that to you. So uh, Bubba and I are going to give for our halftime adjustments from here on out, we're going to give simple coaching tips yeah. that can help you and your kid in the backyard or you and your team to take with you yeah so uh something that i thought about that can be um something visualized so every home plate um on a baseball field has a point or a tip right Mm -hmm. and that tip's always pointed towards the catcher at all times a simple adjustment with with all the instruction that i do here is uh if you're a right-handed batter your right big toe should be somewhat angled or tilted towards the plate. And I think that's a simple adjustment. 10 out of 10. Oh, so let's say I have a 10-year-old walk in here and he's never had personal instruction before. Um, eight out of 10 people that come in through that door are 
either parallel or their back foot is running negative, meaning it, their big toe is running away from that tip. And uh, I think just a simple adjustment for structure, alignment, um, just path to the baseball, um, is just having your back foot angled towards the plate. It's going to allow your hip, which is your power, um, to get to an easier contact point. It's going to help you adjust with velocity. Um, it's just something that I find myself saying every day of the week here at the facility. Um, so if you're listening, if you have those little guys or even those older people, if you're having people having, um, you know, older kids having trouble getting to velocity, um, I guarantee that simple adjustment with that back leg, obviously if you're left-handed, that'd be your left toe, um, but that simple adjustment's gonna go far. Nice. With, with the, the simple adjustment, and uh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna talk a little bit quarterback right here with, with the, the young guys. And one really big misconception with throwing a football is that it is like throwing a baseball. Mm -hmm. It's not like throwing a baseball. What it's like is hitting a baseball. Sure. And you're talking about your power point from the hitting standpoint. When we, when we talk about throwing a football, the so we're talking about load phase. I don't know what you call it when you're yeah. talking about hit, but you're yeah, talking about your load phase. Yeah. And then you're talking about that stride, keeping the shoulder closed. Yeah. All of that stuff is football, throwing a football. So. When you work with little kids and you're, you want your little kid to be a, a quarterback, focus on three things, right? Make sure you have a grip. And with your grip, make sure that grip is thumb and middle finger strong. So you should be able to hold your football with your thumb and your middle finger. That's most important. The next most important is to have space between the football. Sure. So when you first start to put a football in your, your young one's hand, make sure the grip is right because that's always going to come back as they get older. The next thing is focus on power, not accuracy, when they're young. When you throw as hard as you can, the natural motion is going to come into play. Sure. And so when you're working with little kids and you're saying, hey, throw that to me. Oh, can you? do you think you could throw that farther? Do you think you can make it even farther than that? I bet you can't throw it this far. It becomes fun for the kid and they start using the motion and they're like, hey, you know when you threw that ball, here's, the, here's your cue. Make sure your elbow goes above your shoulder. And then you, they start throwing it as hard as they can and their elbow's getting above their shoulder. And now they're starting to develop great habits. Sure, yeah, habits are key, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Always, always with a demonstration. <laughs> like yeah. coaches, you have to demonstrate the skill that you want your kids to learn or have somebody demonstrate it for them. Right. And I think that's key that it's a fast demonstration, ton of movement for the athlete while they're trying the demonstration. Yeah. That makes sense. I just think sometimes, um, like I even have instructors here, we'll have big group settings and I'm like, guys, we got to keep it under five minute talk. Yeah. You can give a quick demonstration and then talk to them while they're attempting the drill. Yes. Make your adjustments while they're attempting it, not necessarily while they're sitting there watching you or looking at an angle. Have them throw it 10 times. Yeah. You know? when, when I'm coaching quarterbacks, I use one word cues, right? If And we throw maybe about 80 footballs in one session and every time I'm like elbow load stride and and those words because I've taught the language sure. whoever I'm working with knows what I'm talking about when I'm, I'm using those cues no, I like it. it's, Very minimal. he's using cues rather than sentences yeah. like or sometimes yeah. Paragraphs yeah. Uh, yeah you know like half the lessons like I'll go to you know facilities and I'm like like you talk for 20 minutes and he hit like 20 balls. Yeah. Like that's not beneficial for a 10 year old. No. Like I think he needs to be putting in as much work as he can and you make your adjustments as you go. Yeah. And you gave me a great adjustment with my kids. We talked about it before too. And they're in 
and I wasn't coaching the team, but they're in the batting cages and they're hitting and they're hitting and they're hitting. Yeah. And all I kept telling them was, uh, what was the cue? It was down the down the runway, take off. Yeah. Down the runway, take off. And I and I would tell them like, hey, you didn't take off on that one. Yeah. Hey, your runway was bad. Crashed your your, run, your runway was bad. And every single time. Because I, I love I love the coaching part of it, but every single time, hey, take off, take off, take off. On the barrel, I'm yep. sure. Yeah, just those small cues. Mm -hmm. I think that's very good. Yeah. So we got a question, Bubs, and we're going to uh, close out the show. We got a question from Claude V. Hill, and Claude's been uh, coaching for a really long time yeah. uh, down here in the uh, southwest area of Bear Creek, and we got a difficult one. And I, I like it because it, it ch kind of challenged us to think a little bit because it's a hard question. The question is, what is your greatest moment as a coach and what is your worst moment as a coach? Greatest and worst, yeah, it took a minute for me to really sum it up. I can probably go a million different ways with that. Um, that could be a whole topic, yeah. is greatest and worst. Um, my greatest memory as a coach was the 2009 Jefferson Saints baseball team. Um, the reason why um, is we had qualified for postseason, right? So I know everyone's going to be like, oh, it's kind of cliche. It's a win-loss type thing. It really wasn't. Um, the 2008 team um, was the best team I've ever coached in team sports. Best team. And they didn't qualify for postseason. But um, that 2009 team was a part of just a culture in Edgewater that was beyond, I, I don't even know how to put it into words, Jess. Yeah. Like, it just really developed a it lot. Transcended. It transcended. It for sure did. You know, like, I, I think I told a story from five, um, you know, supporters in the stands to us having 100 in the 2009 um, clinching game for us to make postseason. Um, I still have the article at home where they're dumping water on my father, and just to see the expressions of these kids jumping up and down, kids that, um, you know, we had for four years that, Probably didn't own a glove four years prior, Jess. Yeah. You know, kids that were showing up to tryouts in jeans and a, and a collared shirt, you know. So just seeing those emotions and the, the final verdict of saying, hey, we have done something not only for baseball but for our community and for our, you know, our school was something that brings chills to me just to even talk about. Yeah, so really that's cool. Awesome. One of my best moments was that. Uh, one of my worst moments, I, I, you know, there's a, a couple to go by. But, I, you know, just trying to establish something at my alma mater, being at Lincoln, mm -hmm. and, you know, like in, in, in our first episode, just talking about how we were let go um, due to some new administration, some people that weren't really part of Southwest Denver or had no idea of, of how important that community and culture was to me yeah. and my family. Um, so being let go from Lincoln High School early on, you know, my my journey has definitely transcended and, and been a lot of different ways, probably because of that. I may not have said I've coached at the collegiate level um, if that didn't happen, but um, I always wanted to stay true to the community I was a part of, and, and that derailed it early, um, and that was probably one of the worst moments for me. It's kind of, it, it's fun and, and scary to speculate on what would have happened right. had you, that never happened to you, right? Right. Like, would you still be at Lincoln? Would you have grown as much as you did sure. um, as a coach? Would you have never evolved because you were like, I'm good enough. I don't need to evolve, right? right. And at such a young age, uh, as a coach, if you're learning that oh, I'm good enough, yeah. and man, you you really get stuck. So, you know, blessings in, blessings in disguise or losses turn to lessons, right? Yeah, hundred percent. It put a chip on my shoulder early. Um, 
but I made it positive, man. Yeah. I was able to help develop so many other programs and communities, and it really challenged me early, man. It was kind of like sink or swim. Um, but you always think about the what ifs, like you talked yeah. about. You know, bottom line is like I I grew up in that community, man. Yeah. You know, so. And we always want to give give back, and and you you do, right? Yeah. You're you're still serving that purpose. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. And it, at a different level now, but I'm absolutely on board with serving that uh, that yeah. corridor of, of where I grew up. Absolutely. So, <laughs> worst, it's hard. It's hard to think about. I've had a, a lot of bad moments as a coach, <laughs> and and not necessarily with. With wins and losses there's been a couple rough ones in there you know the the close ones are always harder than the the yeah, blowouts, blowouts right? yeah, yeah like the you're here and you could have won it if so one thing close. changed did I do enough those types of things we take it we take it personal yeah we, do. we take it personal <laughs> and and I'm I'm a very personal person like I, I really get deep into my relationships with my players and I remember this one time and uh, this is just part of it but I, I had a quarterback and he, he, I was just the quarterback coach at the time, and we're going through a drill, and we're looking at a cover two, and he kept missing the hole in the cover two, and he kept going to his flat read, which you know a cover two, you shouldn't go to your flat read, and I just lay into him, like, and I, Bubs, I was like, I lost yeah. that, I threw the hat, like, yeah. <laughs> like just go, and I, and I, st I went out and I said, just go home and start watching football, kid, like, just get home, watch football, all you, all I want you to do this weekend is turn on the TV and watch football and, and more colorful language than that I, and I just yeah. went off on him for like a two-minute rant about watching football like on the TV watching football stop playing Madden watch football yeah. and he looked at me as I just completely ripped him and he's like coach I don't have a TV Wow. No, I... And you talk about, and you know, we're from humble beginnings. And for me to just go off on that and for him to come back and say that, I just, you know, it, it was really. You had to take it all in. I had to take it all in. I was rough. I apologized to him. I wasn't afraid to apologize, tell him I was wrong. Sure. And we have a great relationship to this day. Um, but it, that was one of my moments. Um, but I'm going to tie this answer to uh, kind of a larger picture. I think whenever you work in the inner city, unfortunately, you are likely going to experience tragedy. Yeah. And my best and worst moments are kind of tied into the same thing. Um, you know, I, I back in 2017, it was my last year coaching, going into the last game of the season versus Kennedy, I get the worst phone call that a coach gets. 5 a.m. call, hey, so-and-so was shot and it's not looking too good, you know? And so we're going in to play Kennedy that following week. Um, I'm out my defensive coordinator because I had a thing with my coaching staff. Like he was having a baby. He had he just had a baby, sure. and I and I not that if I told him that he had to be at practice that he would have. He's a great man, so he probably would have been with his baby anyway sure. and told me to yeah. told me to take a hike. Yeah. <laughs> but he but he was with his family. So during that week, going into that for a couple of weeks, I was the defensive coordinator, offense coordinator, wow. quarterback coach, linebacker coach, and head coach. Right. So all these things and and it was a culmination of everything that I had learned through football going into that week get the, this tragic phone call and this, the sad part was is this kid was still close to a lot of players on the team and it never it never gets old like and you never get used to it you you're always dealing with it and me I'm, I, I try to take care of others first and try and put myself behind 
um, deliver the message to the kids. Um, we we tried to use it as motivation as as much as we could. Um, but those moments are the worst, right? They, right. The, when you're you're out of control. You don't have yeah. control of what's going on. And so many t times in our neighborhoods, bubs like. Kids drink everywhere. Kids go out and smoke all across the world and yeah. in every single demographic. But the problem is in in the inner cities, is when you combine alcohol with the insecurities that come from being poor, yeah. with everything um, that we go through, and then you throw a gun into the mix. Bad things happen. It turns tragic. It, it turns tragic because I'm not making decisions for myself, and now I'm drunk, and my ego is coming out, and everything's coming out. And now you looked at my girl, and no, and, right. and these bad things just happen, and, and it happens too often in our neighborhoods. So going into that game, so kind of getting into the good part, um, we had put this fake punt in, and our long snapper was a five foot three, one of the smartest football players I ever had. Really? Yeah, <laughs> like he's just an incredible football player. But he's just five three. Yeah, just a little guy. Yeah, was, and, and he could do I, he could do everything on the football field, and I, he would play everything. He was playing long snapper for me. So the game starts. Uh, one of my best players down there kick, uh, receiving the kick. He fumbles the opening kickoff. Oh. Kennedy picks it up, scores right away. Oh. Very next kickoff, he. He returns. He comes off the field. Back up a little bit. He comes off the field. I'm like, it's all right. We got it. Early, but you could just see the devastation in his yeah. face. And I'm like, I'm picking him up, just picking him up. Next kickoff, he gets it, takes it to the house. Nice. Tight ball game. Next kickoff, we kick off. They take it back to the house. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we're so we're in this back and forth. But after that that next kickoff, things kind of settled down. And our game plan, we were able to establish our game plan. I really felt during that game that we can dominate them up front. We have uh, we had a kid on the line that's a senior now at Shattering, and we really just ran the ball at him, and it was it was part of it. But my favorite part about that game was I always wanted to game plan against Kennedy as a defensive coordinator, but I let my coaches do it, you know? Yeah. And it was, it was my opportunity. And we put some side adjustments in on that game where I knew what they were doing formationally. And teaching it to our kids in that environment, under that situation that week was difficult because it was hard to keep them focused. But they would come out in formation. My middle linebacker would make the side adjustment, and we just had them and executed and just executed it. Like, and then uh, the other inspirational part about we had a running back who was really close with the kid who had got shot and would not go down on first contact. Ran with the vengeance. He ran with yeah. the vengeance the entire time. So we go through this game and get to the the uh, we're up by a touchdown. It's fourth and two. We're on our own uh, 40, somewhere midfield. And I call a timeout, and I'm talking to one of my assistant coaches on the headsets. I'm like, do you think we should go for the fake punt here? He's like, nah, I, I, I don't think we should. Like, <laughs> let, let's punt it. Let's let our defense. But they had kind of made their adjustments, and they were kind of moving the ball on us now. A little momentum they had, yeah. And so I'm, I'm on the headset with him. I get into the huddle, and that, that little long snapper, he goes, let's fake it, coach. He already knew. And huh? he, he, I didn't say anything. He looked at me he's a let's, let's go for the fake and I, I looked at him and I smiled and I got on the headset I said hey we're, we're going for it <laughs> so we run the fake punt we pick up the first down and the rest is history but I, I ran I got off that field and I remember with the emotion of that week I remember hugging my wife and like just tears bubs like yeah. because everything just kind of came together it was it. 
it was a culmination of everything and that, that was my greatest moment as a coach combined with the worst moment as as a coach yeah that's that's tough man but it's it's far too often we hear those stories um in the inner city yeah it, and i and, and you know if if we had an answer to it like we would give it and i you know the answer to me is family and home and the, the guns aren't going anywhere unfortunately yeah but like i that my message from that from that event turning it into a positive right i have this message about with to our kids is nothing good happens after midnight right and just go home yeah um there when after midnight is when everybody starts to get drunk those egos start to come out and that's when the bad things happen so you're right and it continues to happen it, all the way up until today right, <laughs> there's some happened today that kind of got me sideways so i just i, I for our hope for what we want to do through sports right because sports gives kids hope sure. and when when they run out of that hope then despair comes you're right and the kids with despair are the ones that are making the decision they lost all hope they have nothing to look forward to right. sports gives kids hope and we need great coaches to give kids hope. They do. The platform we have is coaches, man, at all levels, whether you're coaching 9U or collegiately, man. That, that platform should be taken seriously. Coach them up. No doubt, coach. Coach them up. Cool. Thank you for listening to the Colorado Coach'em Up podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to coloradocoach'emup at gmail.com. Once again, that is Colorado, C-O-A-C-H-E-M, up at gmail.com.